Revelation 17, although we will actually briefly be covering the end of Revelation chapter 16. We didn't get all the way through with Revelation 16 last week. So we will be continuing on through with that. Revelation chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 12, and then we're going to read all the way through verse 17. Although we've already covered some of uh, chapter 17 uh, a couple weeks ago, and we will hit on that again, and we will continue to dig dig in. We are uh, progressing right along through the book of Revelation. We are drawing ever close to the end, and we we see that we are drawing close to the end because as we begin to see last week as these uh, seven bowls of God's uh, judgment and God's wrath were being poured out onto an unrepentant humanity, it is coming a point where uh, there's not going to be anyone left. Everyone who is against the Lord is going to be destroyed completely, and those who are with the Lord through Jesus Christ will be in heaven with Him, and there will be uh, no more of this earth as we know it. That's what we are leading up to in the book of Revelation, and so we have seen that ramp up substantially last week. We talked about last week um, uh, God's wrath being poured out. These people uh, in no way repentant. They have been given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to accept Jesus Christ. And still to this point in the book of Revelation, they have failed to accept Jesus Christ. We talked last week that God, uh, even in His judgment, while it may seem harsh for Him to uh, pour out the wrath that He is, that it is a righteous judgment. Those who are being judged, who are experiencing wrath, they hate God. But those who are in God, in Jesus Christ, those who trust in the Lord, they are rejoicing. They see uh, the, the righteousness that comes through God's judgment as glory. It is justice being served. It is not that, that these who are receiving this wrath are undeserving of it. It's not that God is picking out people and say, I just don't love you and I'm going to pick on you. And that's not what God is doing. God gives every single one of us in this room an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ. And we saw firsthand last week the wrath of God being poured out full force. It's not been weakened. The cup of wrath has been poured out. And we see the blood shed of those who have rejected Jesus Christ. And we uh, read through the fifth bowl of judgment last week. And we are going to pray. And then we are going to begin Uh, with the sixth bowl of judgment today. So let's pray. God, we come to you this morning as we are uh, getting into some tough stuff in your book. God, we have covered some some heavy stuff the last few weeks, but I pray that you would help us to continue to seek and to continue to try to understand what we can, God, and that you would help us to, on the stuff that we don't understand, that we would just trust you, dear Lord God, that you would uh, help us to have faith in you even in the stuff we don't get. But I pray, God, that you would help us to not forget the purpose of this book, that we would not forget the purpose that Jesus Christ is coming back, that you are victorious, God, that you are giving each and every person in this world an opportunity to come to you. And so I pray, God, that you would hide me behind the cross, dear Lord, that I would lay down my pride, God, that everything that comes from my mouth today would be through you, that the Holy Spirit uh, would be upon me, God, that you would help me to, to, to make sense of your word today. And God, the parts that I mess up, that your Holy Spirit would fill in the gaps. And God, I pray that you help me not to ramble on today, dear Lord, but to get to the point and preach your word. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will help us to take it to heart. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. 
Revelation chapter 16, verse 12. The sixth poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming from the dragon's mouth, from the beast's mouth, and from the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs who travel to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle, for the battle of the great day of God, the Almighty. Look, I am coming like a thief, the one who is alert and remains closed so that he may not go around naked and see, and people see his shame is bliss. So they assembled them at the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. And so here we begin to see, on the heels of what we saw take place last week, we begin to see uh, this final battle begin to ramp up. This battle that we have, some of you have probably heard the term Armageddon before. Now, there are many different views, as we have talked about and looked at lots of views of Revelation, but there are many views as to the uh, battle of Armageddon. Some say that it is not a, a physical, literal battle that will take place, but it is just a kind of a symbolic of the battle that will ultimately take place between good and evil, and a good will ultimately win in a spiritual sense, whether that takes uh, place literally or not. There is also a popular view that this is going to be a literal battle. Again, some would say that perhaps the battle of Armageddon has already taken place. Some would say that the battle of Armageddon is to come. I believe in reading the text and studying it that this is a battle that will take place in the future. I believe that this is a battle to come and therefore I will preach as such. I believe that this is a battle that we will see in the end times as the devil begins to uh, get his way and continues to get control and continue to uh, deceive people in the world. I believe that this will be an ultimate battle that will take place where the devil has gotten everything together he can and he begins this battle against God's people and against the Lord himself. And so I believe that this battle is going to be a physical, literal battle. And it is unimaginable to us how crazy of a battle that's going to be. We, we look back at World War I and World War II and these wars that take place, but this will be a war on a global scale where everyone will be involved. And by this point, we have seen that only the ones that are left are going to be those who are totally opposed to the Lord. And so they're going to be full of hatred and anger and ready to kill. And it's going to be a tough battle. We see in the verses leading up to the battle that then I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming from the dragon's mouth, from the beast's mouth, and from the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs who travel to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle, for the battle of the great day of God the Almighty. And so we have seen throughout the book of Revelation, we have seen this term beast used on multiple occasions. We have seen uh, this dragon used, and we will see in chapter 17, as we kind of fast forward to and looked at a few weeks ago, that these that are being talked about, that this is symbolic language. Now, Revelation is full of symbolism, but it tells us in these verses in chapter 17, where we're going to look at, that this symbolic language of this dragon and these beasts, the dragon is representative of 
the devil himself, of Satan himself, uh, full power here on this world is being poured out. He has uh, been given some power, and God is not going to restrict him in this time, and the devil is going to wreak havoc through the beast who is the Antichrist. That is going to be one who I believe, based on my interpretation of the text, will be a human being who the devil will have their way with and who will begin to uh, become too prominent power and begin to deceive many people. And then there will be the false prophet who will uh, likely be some type of religious person. And when I say religious, I'm not talking about Christians. If you're a Christian, you're religious, but there are lots of religious people who aren't Christians. And so I believe that the Antichrist and the false prophet may be some type of, of, of religious person who will deceive the people and convince them to worship the beast, worship the dragon. And we see that there is a culmination of their power where these demons will come from them and they will go out and deceive the kings of the world. And that is they will get them all on their side and prepare them for this great day of battle against the Lord. Now, this is heavy stuff. We talked about this last week. This is some scary and heavy stuff. And so if, you, if you're kind of on the fence of whether or not you believe in the Lord or maybe I want to accept Jesus, maybe I don't, you better read what's going to take place. Do not be deceived. What the devil is preparing for as the end times come, and we already see it taking place in our world today, is the devil is preparing the greatest deception that has ever been. Oh, he's a great deceiver. And this is nothing new. It's not like he's just learned this skill. He started it in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, and he has continued to hone his skill and know the weaknesses of humanity and continue to deceive people so that they will not seek Jesus Christ, but so that they will come complacent and so that they would be deceived by him and be ready to fight alongside of him when this time comes. And so it's going to be a scary day. But in the midst of all the hard stuff that we have seen in the book of Revelation, we also get some encouragement in there from the Lord. He doesn't just leave us with this heavy stuff. He kind of breaks it up a little bit and gives us some encouragement. He gives us some hope. We see that here in verse 15. Look, I'm coming like a thief. The one who is alert and remains clothed so that he may not go around naked and people see his shame is blessed. And so Jesus is, 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 is giving a warning. He's giving a plea. He's calling out to those who are reading. Those who are reading the book of Revelation. That's us. We're reading the book of Revelation and we have gotten to this point. And he's saying, look, don't be caught off guard. Don't be found naked. Don't be found shameful. Now, he uses an illustration there that's symbolic because, look, if all of a sudden somebody were to come and rip my clothes off, I'd be up here. I'd be ashamed. I don't want you guys to see me. You don't want anybody to see you naked. That is a shameful thing, and that is the illustration that Jesus uses for our sinfulness. As sinful human beings, apart from him, we are unclothed. We are nakedness, and we need to be aware of our sinfulness. When we read God's Word, it convicts us and it points out our sinfulness. And when the Holy Spirit begins to convict us and we see that we are dirty, nasty sinners, we realize that we are naked and that should make us be ashamed that we are living in our sinfulness. 
But Jesus Christ, as we have seen all throughout the book, we've seen uh, the power of the Antichrist in the last few verses, but then we are drawn back to remember that this is not a book about the Antichrist. This is a book about Jesus Christ. And he is the one who can clothe you from your sinfulness. He can clothe you by washing you with the blood that he has shed on your behalf when he died on the cross. And to those who are victorious, as we've seen in the book of Revelation, they will be given a white robe. You are washed by the red blood of Jesus Christ, but you are made white and pure because through the shedding of his blood, it was for the forgiveness of your sins. And so therefore, if you are not of Christ, you need to come to him, acknowledge your sinfulness, acknowledge your nakedness. You need to realize and be ashamed of your sinfulness. And so we have a nice, uh, where Jesus is pulling us back here, saying, look, don't be found off guard when that day comes, but be one of those who are counted as blessed. Let's read on into uh, verse 17. Then the seventh poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the sanctuary from the throne, saying, It is done. There were flashes of lightnings and rumblings of thunder. And a severe earthquake occurred like no other since man has been on the earth. So great was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered in God's presence. He gave her the cup filled with the wine of his fierce anger. Every island fled, and the mountains disappeared. Enormous hailstones, which weighing about a hundred pounds, fell from the sky on people. That, and they blasphemed God for the plague of hell because that plague was extremely severe. And so we have seen everything in the book of Revelation, all the judgment, all the, the gradual judgment and wrath that God has poured out. We see that come to an ultimate end here in these few verses. It is done. It is finished. This is, this is going to be... Uh, the ultimate end. Now, I realize there's some book of Revelation left to go, but uh, this is going to be the ultimate end of the devil's tactics uh, here on this earth to try to destroy God's plan. We see these, uh, this great earthquake take place. We see these rumblings of thunder, these flashes of lightnings. Uh, we see these same uh, types of illustrations used, the same symbolism uh, as describing God. It is God who is the one who is in control here. There's no question, even though the devil has wreaked havoc for some time, as we've seen in these chapters of Revelation, it is not the devil who is in control. It is the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yahweh, the one and only true God, He is the one who is in control. And He is the one who is pouring out this wrath and judgment onto these unrepentant people. The great city split into three parts. Now, there's much debate, as many things in Revelation, as to what this great city could be. It could be uh, the city of Jerusalem. It could be a reference to Babylon the Great that we see here in these coming verses. I don't know. I don't know what the city is. It's being split into three parts here. But we read on a little further. And the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the Great was remembered in God's presence. He gave her the cup filled with wine of his fierce anger. 
Now, we talked a little bit briefly about Babylon the Great a couple weeks ago. I said we were going to talk about that in more detail, and we are in just a second. So we're going to get there in just a second when we get to chapter 17. It says in verse eight, uh, verse 20, Every island fled, and the mountains disappeared. Enormous hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, fell from the sky on people. And they blasphemed God for the plague of hell, because that plague was extremely severe. Now, we talk much about the symbolism in the book of Revelation. What's real, what's symbolic? I, I believe that in this particular instance that this is a real, literal things that are taking place. That this is a literal earthquake that we are seeing in the text, this world being destroyed as we know it will be. We see that this world as a result of the sinfulness that has ran wild for centuries, we see this world as completely being destroyed. Now we've done a pretty good job as human beings as doing that already with all the things that go on in the wars and as we get to this greatest war we're going to see the world ravaged more and then God is going to come in and he's going to finish things off. He is going to come in. We're going to see earthquakes. It says uh, that the islands fled and the mountains disappeared. I believe that to be literal. Can you imagine what a horrendous and, and just amazing sight that is going to be in those days? Mag uh, uh, islands uh, disappearing into the ocean. Islands, uh, mountains disappearing that is going to be an unbelievable thing. You think about the huge and wonderful and just amazing mountains that we see, and can you imagine those things just disappearing completely? That is going to be the power and the wrath of God. And not only on top of that, and in the midst of all of these things that are taking place, it says that there is going to be a hundred-pound hailstones raining down from heaven. Can you imagine? I mean, look, we've seen what hell can do, right? We don't, we've never had any major hell here, maybe golf ball size. Maybe occasionally in your lifetime you've seen something bigger, but most of the hell we see is just tiny stuff around the size of a marble. And we see these hell storms that come through, and they wreak havoc on cars and on businesses, and glass is broken out, and all these things take place just on the little bit of hell that we see. Can you imagine what's going to take place on this day when we see hailstones that are rained down from heaven and the people blaspheme God? The severity of what's going to take place when this day comes is going to be unbearable and it's going to be unescapable. Because the only escape that we have from these things that are going to take place that are God's wrath in the book of Revelation is Jesus Christ. But these who are experiencing God's wrath here have rejected Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is no escape that remains. All they have to look forward to at this point is an eternity in hell with the dragon himself. That's scary. That's a scary thing. One reason I think that these things are going to be literal is I think we have a little clue about uh, the hailstones, for instance, in the Old Testament. If you want to flip with me to the book of Job, you can. If not, just listen carefully. The book of Job. Chapter 38, verses 22 and 23. Have you entered the place where the snow is stored, or have you seen the storehouses of hell, which I hold in reserve for times of trouble, for the day of warfare, 
in battle. This is the Lord speaking here. It appears as though the Lord has stored up a reserve of hailstones for the day of battle. And so I believe God has used this word here in Job uh, literally. And I believe that we are seeing that take place in the book of Revelation. That we are seeing these massive hailstones that God has prepared for that final day to be rained down on those who are unrepentant. Back to chapter 17. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the judgment of the notorious prostitute who sits on many waters. Now the notorious prostitute there that is being talked about is Babylon the Great as we are about to see here in a few minutes. And we are going to get uh, some detail as to who this Babylon the Great, who this notorious prostitute is. This uh, vision is going to be revealed to us. The kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with her, and those who live on the earth became drunk on the wine of her sexual immorality. So he carried me away in the spirit to a desert. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She had a gold cup in her hand, filled with everything vile, and, the, and with the impurities of her prostitution on her forehead, a cryptic name was, meant, was written. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, and of the vile things of the earth. And then I saw the woman, that the woman was drunk on the blood of the saints, and on the blood of the witness, witnesses to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. And so here we have some symbolic language. And that's what makes Revelation tough because there's kind of this bouncing back and forth between what would appear to be a literal language and what would appear to be symbolic. Now again, there are many different views, but it is clear to us in this case that this is a symbolism. That this is symbolic language, this woman, this notorious prostitute, this Babylon the Great that is sitting uh, here on this beast. And it is symbolic language of either a city to come or a nation to come, or a nation or a city that already is. Some would say that this is the uh, city of Jerusalem. Some would say that this is Rome. Some would say that this is representative of the Roman Catholic Church, that it is representative of the popes. We see uh, the, the same description of how she was dressed as how the uh, popes and those in the Roman Catholic Church are dressed. There are many that would say uh, that that is the uh, devil's work from the get-go. There are many different views as to who this Babylon the Great could be. Some say that it's going to be kind of a coming back together of Babylon the Great that we saw destroyed in the Old Testament. We see that uh, Saddam Hussein tried to do that back in the 80s. He tried to restore and rebuild Babylon the Great. Obviously, he did not succeed. Although, I don't know that that's going to be the case because we see in the Old Testament that it was Babylon the Great was destroyed, and it doesn't appear from the Old Testament that it would ever be built back up. And so it could be a new uh, city. It could be a new place. It could be a new nation that is going to rise to prominence in these end times that is going to represent Babylon the Great. That is, is going to be a city or a nation that is going to 
be wealthy, that is going to have much trade, as we see in chapter 17, with all of the rest of the world. The rest of the world is going to get rich off of this city or this nation. It is going to seem like it's going to be uh, the best of the best nation, so to speak, for lack of a better term. And everyone is going to love this nation. It's going to be a great nation, this new Babylon, the great. But it is a nation or a city that is not focused on the Lord, completely rebellious to the Lord, completely rejecting the Lord and all that the Lord has done. And so that's what we see, this notorious prostitute, uh, this, this uh, Babylon the Great that we see here in 17. In verse 7, Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will tell you the secret meaning of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up from the abyss and go to destruction. That is the devil they're talking about. Those who live on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast that was and is not and will be present again. Now there, we have a good, uh, uh, something that's good for us Christians to remember. Those who have not been familiar with the text and what God's Word says, when this beast, the one who is the devil, will come, he is going to deceive those who live in darkness. But those who are in Christ, those who have their names written in the Lamb's book of life, will not be astonished. So... We are going through the book of Revelation so that we can be prepared if those times should come during our lifetime. And therefore, we know the devil's tactics. We won't be deceived by what he does. We will be on guard. That is why we are going through this book of Revelation, so that we won't be deceived. Verse 9. Here is the mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is. The other is not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain for a little while. Now again, uh, we, we have a description of this beast with these seven heads and these ten horns. The angel is telling us here that it represents five kingdoms that have fallen. One that is and one that will come. That's coming after John's time. The five that have fallen are Egypt, Assyria, uh, Greece, uh, Babylon, and Medo-Persia. We have seen these in the Old Testament. These are not things that are secret to us. If you look back in the Old Testament, you see that these five superpowers have fallen. Those are the ones the angel is talking about. There is one that is. At that current time, Rome was the superpower. It was the nation that was persecuting the Christians. All of these who have now fallen used to be world superpowers. They were wealthy. They were rich. But they were not able to stand. And so we see now Rome is not anything that we would consider a superpower. And so it has fallen by this point in time. But there is still one that is left to come. Perhaps it is already here among us in our world today. This next nation, this next superpower that is to come. And it's going to be the last head of the beast. It is going to be the last thing that takes place before the beast's plan goes into effect. Now these things that we are reading about here are things that happened before chapter 16. 
That's what makes the book of Revelation kind of confusing. It's kind of like the movie Back to the Future. You kind of you go back and you learn something, and you go back and you see something happen, and you go back and you learn something. And that's kind of what we see in John's writing. A lot of times he'll talk about something, and then he is given a vision, and he goes back and gives more details on what previously had happened. And so while the dragon in the battle of Armageddon had already been revealed to him and take place in his vision, he is just getting some more information as to about what these things mean. The beast that was and is not is himself an eighth king, yet he belongs to the seven and is going to destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they will receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. So we have these seven heads, these seven great nations, one of which is to come after John's time, possibly among us in our time, which will complete the seven heads. Uh, possibly the Antichrist will come from that seventh nation, and then the beast himself will be the eighth. And we also see these ten horns that are on the beast's head. These are representative of ten kings, of ten countries of some sort, or kings that are going to put all of their power together that are going to form a group toward the end time and they are going to put their power together with the beast for one hour and they will eventually end up giving all of their power to the beast. And so we are seeing dire situations that are going to take place as the end comes. It is going to be such a great deception that the devil is going to be convinced Pretty much every leader of every main place in the world, maybe there will be a few that hold out, but it appears as though the devil is going to have his way with pretty much everybody and this Antichrist, and they are going to convince essentially the whole world to give their power to this one person. That is a bad idea in any instance in life for one person to have all the power. But here is Satan himself in the form of the Antichrist who is going to wield this just unthinkable power. These have one purpose, that is the ten kings we just talked about. These have one purpose, and they gave their power and authority to the beast. These will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will conquer them because he is the king, excuse me, he is the lord, he is lord of lords and king of kings. Those with him are called chosen and faithful. Again, we have a nugget of hope, a reminder that Jesus Christ is victorious. We see the, the, the beast, the antichrist, the dragon, all these uh, that are of the devil that come together that are trying to deceive those of the world who have received great power and they do their best to come against the lamb of Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ conquers them. We have hope there. Jesus is not going to lose. Jesus has already won the battle whenever he died on the cross. Those with him are called chosen and faithful. Not only does it say that Jesus is victorious, but there is also a word of encouragement for the believers. That who is with Jesus? Is he alone? He is not alone. That there are some with him, and those who are with him are chosen and faithful. That is, those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. A few verses ago, we saw those who had put their trust in the Antichrist, and they have 100-pound stones of hail being crashed down to them, and they are in severe agony and pain. And here we see those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ are coming victorious. They are faithful and chosen. 
That's a good word of encouragement. And we see these things all throughout the book of Revelation to remind us that Jesus Christ is victorious. He also said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute was seated are peoples, multitude, nations, and languages. The ten horns you saw and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked, devour her flesh, and burn her up with fire. Now this is a drastic change of events. You, 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 you see kind of how the devil thinks here. He does not care what it takes to get his way. He is a great deceiver. And here was this nation, this Babylon the Great, this notorious prostitute who had been working alongside uh, the Antichrist. And now these nations and the Antichrist, the devil, they don't have anything to do with it. They cast her away. They're done with her. They're done with this great nation or great city, whichever it could be. And so the devil does not care who he uses to accomplish his plans. The devil will try to do that with you and I. He will try to deceive you and say it does not matter what you do, that you can keep living your life and nothing's going to happen and everything's going to be okay because he does not care what happens to you. What the devil desires to you is for you to live in sinfulness, to promote hate and anger, to do everything but please the Lord, to continue with this uh, ramping up of mass chaos that we see in our world today. And he does not care about your soul. He knows that he will be forever in hell, and he wants you to be there with him, and he doesn't care. His goal is to destroy everything, but he will not succeed. So do not be deceived by his tactics. Listen to Jesus Christ, the one who cares about your soul, the one who wants to take your burden, the one who wants to forgive you of your sins. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his plan by having one purpose and to give their kingdom to the beast until God's words are accomplished. And the woman you saw is the great city that has an empire over the kings of the earth. So this great city, this great nation, this Babylon the Great that will arise in the end times is going to appear to be a superpower, a wealthy city, a wealthy nation, but is only a pawn of the Antichrist, a pawn of the devil so that he can receive his way. I don't know who Babylon the Great is. Perhaps it's the United States of America. That's scary for us to think about. But as you begin to read into chapter 18 and you begin to see that these other nations of the world have traded and, and gained much wealth from this Babylon the Great, we see that this Babylon the Great it seems to be open to many different languages and cultures. And you look at our United States today and we are a wealthy nation. We do most of our trading with nations other than ourselves. We have uh, made other nations very wealthy because of the things we have purchased from them. We have become a place that has become a grand melting pot for all kind of uh, different people from different groups, perhaps. Uh, this is a prophecy of the United States of America. There are many different opinions as to this Babylon the Great and who it could be. But there is one thing that I don't want us to miss in this text today that we see all throughout God's Word, and that is the devil is a great deceiver. This is the greatest deception that he will ever pull off. He will deceive 
millions upon millions of people in this world, both poor and rich, both those with no power and those in great power, he will deceive them and convince them that he is the way for peace and freedom and justice. Do not be deceived by the tactics of the devil. Listen to God's word, church. Pray that God would give us strength. Let us not think too highly of ourselves and think, I could never be deceived. The devil could never get me. If you say that, you're not giving the devil enough credit. He is slick. He will deceive us. The devil, we see his tactics in the world today. We see his tactics in the world today. And he goes about deceiving us in so many ways. Now listen carefully. Listen. Because what the devil wants us to believe and wants us to do is to believe that all religions are the same. And that we can all pray to God, and it doesn't matter who your God is. We're all going to the same place. We can all worship together. We can be one big happy family. It's all good. Everything's okay. All religion is the same. All denominations are the same. All churches are the same. Everything's the same. Let's just get together and be one happy place. That is a lie. Do not be deceived. There is only one God. That is the God in heaven. The God who is the Father of Jesus Christ. The God of Israel. He is the only God. And we do not need to let our guard down and be deceived and say, Well, it's okay. We can accept these other groups. We can accept these other things that may not call Jesus by name or may not call God by name. We reject those things. Because there is no Savior who will save us. There is no light to the world except for Jesus Christ. There is no God except for God in heaven. And we should refer to God as God, the one and only true God, and His Son, Jesus Christ. There is no need to cut corners. We don't want to be found cutting corners saying everything's okay, all religion is okay, because it is not we are not all going to the same place if we haven't put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the devil has been so slick as to deceive many people who are religious. They are parts of churches. They are parts of religious groups. That while they may acknowledge a God in a sense, they refuse to acknowledge the one true God. And that is what separates us as Christians. That is what makes us different, is that we don't compromise. We don't give in. We don't try to just humor other people because we want to get along. What separates us as Christians is Jesus Christ. And when we fail to acknowledge Him and put Him first, when we fail to say that He is the one, when we fail to acknowledge Him in every way, shape, and form, we are on dangerous ground. There can be no compromise. Because when we begin to compromise on God's Word and Jesus Christ, then we open ourselves up for deception. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. 
God's Word never tells us to be Baptists. God's Word never tells us to be Methodist. God's Word never tells us to be Pentecostal. God's Word never tells us to be Catholic. God's Word never tells us to be Muslim. God's Word tells us to worship Jesus Christ, to accept Him as our Lord and Savior, to accept the forgiveness that He gives, and to acknowledge that God the Father is the one who is in control and that His Son has given everything for us. That is what the Bible commands us to do. And so we come together as Christians and we must stand strong as Christians and we must be on our guard to not give in to the deception of the devil. The Bible says that he's going to be good enough to deceive a whole world to have them on his side. And I don't want you to be in that group. I don't want you to be one of those that suffer God's wrath. I want you to be one of those that experience God's grace. I want you to be one of those that acknowledges Jesus Christ on this earth. Don't deny Him. You have an opportunity, if you hadn't put your faith and trust in Him today, to seek Him, to ask Him to forgive you of your sins, to be your Lord and Savior, so that you can be there with Him when He is a victorious conqueror, so that you can be one of those who are faithful and chosen. Let's pray. God, I come to you this morning and we thank you. We thank you for being good enough to give us your word to warn us so that we are not just trying to figure this out on our own. But God, we know the tactics of the devil. We know what he does, dear Lord. We know how he works. But even then, help us to seek you, dear Lord, so that we will not be deceived. God, I pray that you help us to always stand firm for you, to stand up for you, to know that you are the way, dear Lord, that there is no other way. And I pray that there is one in this room today that if not accepted you, Lord Jesus, that they would come to you today. I pray that you would strengthen us, dear Lord God, as individuals, as a church body, that we would stand strong together, that you would help us to be uh, so tightly woven together that there is no place for the devil to get into this place that we would just be a mighty light for you in this world as the end times approach, whether it's next week or whether it's ten years from now. God, help us just to be on mission for you. Help us to, to have a heart of love, that when we see people in need, that we love them, that we're not so quick to judge, but that we're a little quicker to offer grace, dear Lord. And God, I thank you for this body that we call enterprise, this brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can serve together. I pray that you continue to bless us, but all for your glory, dear Lord, not for ours, but for your glory, so that through everything, good work that is done that people see through us, that they will know that Jesus Christ is the reason we do it, and that we would be bold to stand up and acknowledge that Jesus is our Savior. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen.